Our text this morning is from Genesis chapter 29, starting at verse 31 and continuing through the next chapter, chapter 30, to verse 24. It's another very interesting story in the saga of Jacob and his family. And if you thought they had trouble last week with two weddings for the price of one, this week we see the fruit, as it were, of that in the family. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Genesis chapter 29, beginning at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived, again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time. My husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her that she may give birth on my behalf that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. 
Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning, Lord, that you would bless us with wisdom from your word. We ask, O Lord, that you would remind us that you are our only true God. Be with us, O Lord, and teach us from your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the other things that I noticed this past weekend as I was out on Friday at the ice skating rink is that I think I've officially become old. You know this when the songs that you listen to in high school are now officially oldies. And I was thinking about an even older song as I looked at this text this week. It's a, a song by that great, or perhaps not so great theologian, Mick Jagger. You can't get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. Now, I don't think Mick meant it the way the Bible meant it, but I think that's a good and short way for us to remember this text this morning, because you see, there is Leah and Rachel in all of us. If we search the recesses of our hearts, we desire things that are not really good for us. We desire things that others have. We think we cannot live without them, but it is true that the Lord provides for us exactly what we need. This is something that is very common in this season of the year. We think of Christmas and we think of all of the things that we are supposed to do, how we are supposed to be nicer, how we are supposed to tip larger, how we are supposed to invite our neighbors over. It is a focus time for us to solve all of the problems that the year has created. 
But in reality, Christmas is about what the Lord does in a spectacularly, wonderfully odd way. A way in which we don't even expect things to happen. Who would think that the world would be saved with the coming of a baby? You see, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel all need to learn this lesson that God is the one who is in control, that He is the one who provides what we need. And in the midst of all of this, He is shaping us into the image of His Son. And so this morning I would like us to see three things. First, we will look at Leah and her lament. Then we will look at Rachel and her ruse, her trickery. And then finally, we will look at God and His glory that is found in this family. Let's begin then by looking at Leah and her lament. Now, remember where we are in the story. Jacob and Leah and Rachel are off to a very bad start. Their marriage starts out with the definition of a bad idea for a marriage. Now think about it. It's bad enough to have more than one wife. And yet on top of that, it's even worse to be tricked into having two wives by one of your wives and her father. This does not exactly make for family harmony. If you think in your family it's difficult and how every once in a while your husband or your wife brings up when you left the car door open six years ago or when you failed to provide the appropriate things four and a half years ago, imagine what life would be like in this family any time that there was even the hint of difficulty between Jacob and Leah. He would pull out the trump card. Well, I never wanted to marry you. They had to trick me into marrying you. I don't love you at all. And I'm sure he would make it plain and simple throughout the entirety of their marriage. After all, Leah is the one who is to blame for this problem. She had to know what was going on. She had to know that it wasn't a good idea. But perhaps she was so desperate to be loved that she thought, well, Jacob will come around. But weeks turned into months, turned into years, and there was great tension in the home. It was obvious that Jacob did not love Leah. The text here is very strong, and I don't think we should pull back from it. It says that Jacob hated Leah. Now, you know what that would look like in the home. Perhaps you've seen tension in your own life or in the lives of others. Frosty glances as they pass to and fro in the tent. Looking for a compliment for supper that's made is only meant with grunts. There's great tension in the home between Jacob and Leah, but also between Leah and Rachel. You can imagine Rachel reminding Leah almost daily how kind Jacob is to her. Did you see the wonderful flowers that our husband gave to me? Oh, he said such kind things to me yesterday. Knowing, of course, that Leah could participate in none of this. There's great tension in the home. 
And the Lord has a plan to forge a family out of this desperate group of people. And so he opens the womb of Leah and closes the womb of Rachel. And so now begins a saga of the grass is always greener on the other side. Leah conceives and she bears a son. Now, one of the things you have to know about the Hebrew language and Hebrew families is people usually are named not just for an ancestor, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, or not just named because it's a nice-sounding name, or people go down through the list of names and pick something unique. No, usually someone is named with a meaning. And it's no different with Reuben. His name means something like C, a son. And it has a two-edged sword to it. On the one hand, Leah is praising the Lord, saying, look, Lord, you gave me a son. But there's also a bit of something darker here. Imagine in the home, every time that the boy is called within the hearing of Rachel, it's a reminder, I have the baby and you don't. You're a failure. You're barren, which in this culture is about the very worst thing you can be. <clears throat> in this culture, it's like being a jobless, penniless, purposeless man. It's a woman who has no purpose. Everything revolves around the children. Well, perhaps Rachel would get used to this. She wouldn't like it, but she'd think, well, eventually I'll have a son. And then there's another announcement. Leah's with child again. And she bears another son. And she says, now I know that the Lord hears. And she names him Simeon. For the Lord has looked upon me. He sees that I'm hated and he's given me yet another son. And so Simeon's name means the Lord hears. This gives us a bit of an insight into Leah. In the midst of all of her sorrow, all of her difficulty, all of her difficulty that she has caused herself, she has resorted to go to the Lord in prayer. Can you say the same? When your life is not what you expected it to be. Now, I don't mean in the moment of crisis. There's the old saying that everybody prays in a foxhole. That's not what I mean. I mean when you sit and you think, you know, I wish my kids had better grades. I wish I had a better job. I wish my car was a little bit newer. I wish my house was a little bit nicer. At those points, are you tempted to slink into depression, into sorrow, into yourself, or do you go and seek out the Lord? That's what Leah does. She finds comfort in the Lord, even in the midst of her difficulty and sorrow. And then there's the announcement number three, Levi. Now you can tell Leah's getting a bit desperate. First she says, look, a son, love me. Jacob, love me. Oh, he doesn't love me yet. Okay, look, a second son. God has heard my prayer. Please love me. No. And now a third one. And she says, aha, third time's the charm. 
Now, surely, my husband will be attached to me. And she names Levi Mr. Attached. Imagine if that was your name. See a son, not so bad. He listens, pretty good. Mr. Attachment? I don't think so. But you see, this is how desperate she is for love. She has all of these children God has provided for her. Rachel, as we'll see in a moment, is crazy with envy. And all Leah can think of is, I have nothing. I am worthless because my husband doesn't love me. But she keeps praying. And we know this because she has a fourth son. And when life doesn't work out the way you want it to, when you're not certain of why God has given you a lot in life, the only real solution is to take your eyes off of your life and on to the Lord. And that's what Leah does. She bears a fourth son and she names him Judah. Praise, praise the Lord. And she says to herself, this time I will praise the Lord. In other words, I'm going to back off here from trying to make Jacob love me. And I'm going to focus on my relationship with the Lord. Now, do you understand the implications here for you and for me? Because you see, she's praying to the Lord She's seeking the Lord. God has blessed her and she understands that and she praises Him for it. But understand that underlying here, she's still got the same problem. You see, I think we think when God finally notices us, when God finally is going to do business with us, when God finally is in relationship with us, He'll smooth out the problems we want smoothed out. But that's not what happens. Oftentimes, God leaves us with the difficulties we have. That's the case with Leah. You see, here we have a perspective on life, not happiness. Because you see, if possible, Leah's situation gets worse. Look with me at the end of chapter 29. Therefore, she called his name Judah, then she ceased bearing. Now, this does not mean that all of a sudden she became barren, as if God is flipping some kind of cosmic baby on-off switch. No, what this means is, after four sons and giving Jacob what he should want, children, Jacob's response is to go away from her, to not visit her anymore, and to stop his husbandly duty. She's gone from the frying pan into the fire. Not only does her husband not love her, not only does he not want to be around her, he is never around her anymore. This is her lament. Then the next thing we see is the other sister, Rachel. And we see her problem. Rachel is the gifted sister. Rachel is the one who apparently has everything that anyone could ever want, according to Leah. Does this sound like any of your families? Rachel, of course, is the pretty one. Everyone loves Rachel. Picture in your mind. She's the one with the locks of hair, and she knows just how to toss them. 
She's got that giggle that's infectious and everyone wants to be around. Everyone wants to be Rachel's friend. Think of how she must have felt the day when Jacob said, I want to marry this lovely, beautiful daughter of yours, Uncle Laban. I'll work seven years for you. Think of how Rachel must have been to be around that. He's going to work seven years for me. He really loves me. Seven long years go by. And then trickery. And Laban says, well, you know, work just seven more years. Now, for Jacob, this is frustration. But Rachel gets to get married right away. And if you can imagine, she becomes even more insufferable. Not just seven years, sis. Fourteen for me. None for you. Fourteen for me. You can just imagine what she's like in the house. She's full of herself. She's probably shallow, and as we see from here, she doesn't really have a relationship with the Lord. Whereas Leah is praying to the Lord, and Leah is actually using the covenant name of God in her discussion. Look at Rachel. God's nowhere to be found. It's all about Rachel. It's all about what she needs, and what she deserves, and what she should get. You see, she is not satisfied. We have one sister all the kids you could want, if only I'm loved. Another sister, all the love you could get. No kids. The grass is greener on the other side. But you see, the problem here is it's not really about kids or love. Because you see, this principle applies to you and me as well. What's really going on here is what Augustine summed up well in a little quote. That our hearts are always restless until they find rest in Thee, O Lord. You see, Rachel is a restless kind of gal because she does not have a strong relationship with the Lord at this point. She is instead worried about how she might possibly fall behind her sister. And so she's filled with bitterness and with anger. And so what she then does is she tries to work the problem. And she does what many a wife has done in history. Perhaps you've experienced this. She's frustrated and doesn't know what to do. So she goes and looks at him long and hard and says, You fix it. Give me what I need. Come on, do something for me. Make it all better. You ever gotten that from your wives, gentlemen? Jacob doesn't know what to do. Fix the tent, I could do. Water the flock, I could do. Build you something, I could do. Open the womb, I can't do. And he says to her, am I God that I can do this? Now you have to understand, Jacob is angry here because you see Jacob has been living week upon week upon week upon week on one giant raw nerve. If it's hard to be Leah, if it's hard to be Rachel, it's impossible to be Jacob in this family. He's getting it from both sides. In stereo, 24 hours a day. And it's even worse because Jacob is the fix-it man. He is the fixer. 
You need a birthright? I can fix that. You need a blessing? I can fix that. You need a wife? I can fix that. And now God has put him in a spot where he can't fix a single thing. All he can do is listen to it. Horrifying. Right, men? That's all that there could be. So Rachel says, well, okay. If you can't fix it, if you're not man enough, I'll take matters into my own hands. Has this ever happened in your family? When one spouse is not willing to do what the other spouse wants, oh, don't worry about it, I'll just take care of it myself. And that's what she does. She says, I have this brilliant idea. I'm sure no one's ever thought of it before. I have a handmaid. And you can take my handmaid as your wife, and then she'll have children, and they'll be my children. This is a great idea. I'm surprised nobody's ever thought of this before. Now, let's give Rachel the benefit of the doubt that maybe she didn't have all of the old family stories. But Jacob should be scratching his head and saying, did not work out so well for Grandpa. And he should be saying to himself, no, we're not going to do this. Let me tell you why. It'll be a problem not only for you, it'll be a problem for her, it'll be a problem for the kids, it'll be a problem for all of us. But like many a man, Jacob looks and he says, whatever you want, dear. As long as you stop, will this make you stop nagging me? Will this finally give you the child and you'll just be satisfied and quiet? And you see, he prefers his own solution or her solution to the Lord. And we see how bound up in this Rachel is by the name she gives her children. She has one child by a handmaid and she names him Judgment. God has judged between me and my sister. Really? Did you look? Four boys? One adopted boy? She says, ah, don't worry about that. A second boy. And she gets even more over the top. I have defeated my sister with mighty wrestlings, and I have wrestled her to the ground, and I've won. And we think instead of wrestling practice, you should have done arithmetic. Four, two. But you see, this is how bound up she is. She thinks she's in control, and she is winning. And of course, as often happens, Leah is not going to sit quiet for this. So she says, all right, I'll see your two concubine kids, and I'll raise you two concubine kids and four regular kids. You want to play kid poker? We can do it. And she sends her maid in. Now, why Jacob says yes to the fourth wife, I'll never know. Except for at this point, the poor man's just probably exhausted. And so two more children are born. And we see now Leah being dragged down to the level of Rachel. She's not saying the Lord has heard me and given me a son. She names the next boy Lucky. You know, like Lucky Charms. This is not a way to account for God's sovereignty and the Lord in your life. She actually names him after what would be a pagan god in this culture. And then Asher is born. And Leah is, I think, 
a bit frayed at the edges at this point. And now she's trying to convince herself that she is happy. Because she actually says, I'm going to name him Happy. Lucky, meet your brother Happy. I'm happy because everybody says that I'm happy. And we sit here and we say to ourselves, you're miserable. You let everybody know you're miserable. But you see, she wants to win now. And what we have here is a fight. So Rachel says to herself, Jacob can't fix it. My good idea didn't work. What do I do now? And lo and behold, young Reuben comes in from the field. I don't know how old Reuben is here, seven, eight years old maybe. And he's got some mandrake fruit. Now, you've probably never seen a mandrake fruit. All you really need to know about it is it looks like a small apple. And the ancients thought that they were responsible for increasing fertility. It doesn't. You could eat pears. You could eat apples, cherries, blueberries, blackberries, boysenberries. None of that is going to make you more likely to have children. But here, the people in this culture thought that would be the case. And she sees it and she says, ooh, here's the answer. Reuben, come here, Reuben, come here. Come to Auntie Rachel. What do you have there? Can I have those? And you can see Mama Bear comes in and she says, It is not enough, is it, that you have the husband, that he wants to be with you, that he can't stand me. I've given him all these kids, and he won't be with me. Now you want to take my mandrakes too? And Rachel says, let's make a deal. You give me the mandrakes, and she's thinking to herself, and then I'll finally be able to have children, and Jacob can go in to you. Deal? deal. Now you see how this family is so dysfunctional. Because the next thing that happens is poor Jacob can't even put down his lunch bucket from work. He's coming in from the field. Leah meets him and says, oh, by the way, my tent tonight. What? No, I've hired you. That's what every husband wants to hear. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. What on earth are you talking about, woman? No. Okay, I'm sure he goes to Rachel and says, what is the deal here? And she says, no, 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 listen, this is a great plan. He says, yeah, like, like the Bilhah plan? No, no, much better than the Bilhah plan. You go into her, and then afterwards you come into me, and I got the mandrakes, and then we'll finally have a son together, okay? Whatever you say, honey. All right. So he goes, and Rachel's figured this all out. She's figured out a way to end around God. You see, this is superstition and magic, and that's how we get around God. It's like the open sesame of the ancient world. It's like the incantation we say in our prayers, and then God has to answer our prayers exactly as we want them. There's only one problem. Leah gets pregnant, not Rachel. And I think here God finally gets the attention of Rachel. She's tried everything she can. She's tried her husband. She's tried her own plan. She's tried magic. And nowhere can she get what she needs or else she will die. And finally she says, Lord, I'm giving it over to you. 
You see, the last thing that we see here in this text is that God is found in His glory in this family that's a mess. God is teaching all of them and you and me that He is not our servant. He does not come at our beck and call. He does not serve to meet our entitlement mentality. He is not there to make our lives smooth and to answer all of our wants and needs. Because you see, God knows what we really need. He doesn't need our advice. It's not about what we want. God knows that our need is for Him. And so what He does is now He listens to Rachel. She finally has come face to face with the Lord. Finally, all of the background noise is faded. She turns to the Lord. But God remembers her. And He listened to her in her prayers. And He opened her womb. Now, when it says that God remembered her, it's not that God somehow wrote Rachel on a post-it note somewhere and misplaced it and forgot who she was. Now, what this means is when God remembers someone, it's not that he's forgotten, it's that he is now taking direct action in their lives. Rachel is now in a place where she's ready to hear God. She is in a place where she is ready to receive the blessing that God wants to give to her. And we see this by the way she responds. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. So you see here, She knows what God has given to her. God has a purpose in life. He has a purpose for Jacob. Jacob didn't like what was going on here, but he learned not to manipulate people anymore. God has a purpose for Leah. She learned that she had to trust and wait upon the Lord. And things wouldn't always turn out how she would want. God has a purpose for Rachel. She learned to be satisfied with what God had given to her and not to treat life as some kind of big contest. God has a purpose for each and every one of you. He's working in your life, making you more like the Lord Jesus Christ, drawing you to Himself. But the final thing that we see here is that God also has a big purpose as well. He's changing Jacob, he's changing Leah, and he's changing Rachel. But you see, this is all in the context of his purpose for the entirety of the world. Did you ever wonder what would happen if God had not worked in this family exactly as he did? Leah, the one who was hated, who doesn't deserve kids because she's hated, from her comes the priesthood. Levi. From her comes the Lion of Judah, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. If it weren't for the baby wars, there would not be the manger. But you see, God is working in spite of our sin, in spite of our selfishness, to redeem a people to Himself. 
to reconcile a people to himself. This is the way the Lord works. You see, I think we are tempted, especially at Christmas, to think that the only way that God should work is with bright lights and flowers and great smells and sights and joy and happiness abounding. But this story reminds us that God works in tears, in pain, in heartache, in struggle, in strife, in fighting, in families that are broken and falling apart. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot more hope at Christmas. Because eventually the tree gets put away and the ornaments get wrapped up and the cookies are all eaten. And ordinary life comes again, doesn't it? And you see, the answer to the world, the answer to your life, is not in a Christmas season. It's in the one whose coming we celebrate. The one who is there every day, all the year. The one who gave his life and experienced bitterness to the core. That we might be the children of God. Let's pray.